system is concrete. There isn't room for adaptation or interest in unfolding. No, because we don't want to hear the facts unless they're in our favor. But I heard that the elite will fold in their defeat. All right, everybody, welcome. It is Garrett Anderson coming at you live on Friday, April 21st. And here I have uh, Mike, is it Zimmerlich? Yes, oh, you got it right. All right, uh, I wasn't sure. Uh, you know, you read it off the business card and you kind of take your best crack at it. But um, Mike is the founder and of 8020 Records here in Phoenix, uh, among other things. I met him as the host of the Phoenix chapter of NARIP, which is the National Association of Recording Industry Professionals, and um, which was a networking event here in town a, a few weeks ago and Mike and I um, met there and I said hey I've got a podcast that I'm looking to get to get off the ground and I'd love for you to be a guest and he's been gracious enough to, to host me here in our collaborative entrepreneurship space called Cahoots here in Phoenix which my Google Maps called Co plus Hoots which was funny yeah I like that um, should tell him to change the name yeah Co plus hoots. So, so Mike, um, that that's uh, a brief introduction. Why don't you uh, to you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you fit into the Phoenix music scene? Well, that goes a long way back. So, I mean, for myself, I was a musician since I was five years old. Okay. So, music has always been a part of my life. And so, as I grew up, I actually originally wanted to be a music teacher, and because I love to to sharing my knowledge with other people and I want other people to learn and be successful and what they want to do so I really thought about it and um, when I was 15 years old I would say I wanted to be a music teacher uh, but then in high school a senior year of high school I was part of this uh, event called market day where basically kids were able to sell things to other students out in the hallways and uh, I had this yearbook, a video yearbook actually. So we took footage from the television studio of the high school and created our own video yearbooks mm -hmm. and we sold them. And we sold probably like five. Mm -hmm. It was dismal, but it was so much fun. I loved doing it so much that I got the entrepreneurial spirit at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And my parents are also entrepreneurs as well. They own a software company and a photography studio. Oh, very nice. So it's, it's part it of the, in the family. It runs in the family. So I, I knew I wanted to run my own business, but I wasn't sure what exactly it would be. So what I decided to do was I said, okay, once I was in college, I literally had two notebooks, one that was on everything that was, I was learning in class, and another notebook that was specifically designed for ideas. And uh -huh. anytime an idea popped in my head while I was in class, I wrote it down, whatever it was. I just, I have literally pages and I kept every single one of them. I have pages of all kinds of ideas of what I came up with. Right. Well, you know, that expression, uh, yeah, short pencils better than a long memory, right? Yeah. You got to write it down so you can follow up on it later. Absolutely. So I came across the original idea I had was a website where independent musicians could upload their music for free. And I would host my own internet radio stations. And if this sounds a lot like at last FM and uh, Pandora, it was pretty much was that. And, mm. But this was back in 2004. Mm -hmm. So this is when Pandora started getting popular and Last FM was getting known. It was more known back then as Audio Scrabbler to to date this uh -huh. way back when. But the, but the idea being that you were 
you, you were having these notions of what could be coming down the pipeline. Exactly. So it wasn't too far off from there after I launched uh, an, essentially a beta alpha version, version of the website. Uh, my partner and I decided that, okay, we're kind of lost in the mix here because at this point in time, we have these big players that are doing something very similar to what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to decide what we want to, how to tackle this. And then just one day, my partner said, well, how do you feel about starting a record label? And I told him, said, okay, well, you know, neither of us know how to run a record label, but sure, why not? Let's figure out how to do this. But I don't want to do anything that's the same of everybody else. I want to try something that's different. And I was a big believer in the Pareto principle or the 80-20 business rule. So mm -hmm. for those who don't know what that is, is that uh, generally speaking, especially in business, they've discovered that 20% of your customers are 80% of the revenue that you make. Uh, they find this rule of 80-20 is throughout all of business and also in nature too. They found that you know 80% of peas are created by 20% of the pea pods. Mm. So I just fell in love with this concept and it just blew my mind. So I said, well, why don't we give 80% back to artists? And he looks at me and goes, you're absolutely insane. And then thoughts, thinks about it for a second, says, I love the idea, let's do it. Hmm. So it was a concept since day one. I literally bought two textbooks, one on record label marketing and one on music law. I read through them. I had a friend who did electronic music. I said, hey, do you mind if I make you a guinea pig? I'll put you through the works. We're going to sign contracts. I'll figure out how to get your music online, but you know, we have no idea what we're doing. Mm -hmm. He goes, sure, why not? Cool. So he was my, my uh, test bed on figuring things out. And then sure enough, about three, four months later, I signed my first artist and it was a pop punk band uh, based in Tempe. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it was always been just trying things out, figuring things out as I go, learning, of, uh, connecting with other people, other people in the industry that's been around longer than I was, and learning from them and making my own mistakes and learning from those. And uh, it's been nine years since that point. So you know, what strikes me as interesting there, and I find that for myself, when I have a concept to latch onto, especially at the onset of any sort of idea, it's really helpful to keep me motivated and keep me stepping towards that. So if you, you know, if you were able to identify that 80-20 principle that's, you know, ubiquitous through business and nature, and then figure out a way to, to make that, you know, your little, your, your concept that was going to give your idea legs. Um, do you find that the manifestation of the label as it is now fits your original vision or did it evolve over time oh it very much evolved it uh, was definitely nowhere near and what specifically it was about that 80 20 concept right so the 80 20 concept i learned very quickly why most labels take the majority back mm -hmm. so uh what i decided was okay well instead of changing the uh the split figuring out okay well how can i make the split work what can i do that still will provide value to artists while still being able to give artists 80% mm -hmm. and figuring out a new method as far as how to run a record label. And that's been a process, it's a continuous process. I'm always trying to tweak things up and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And mm -hmm. every artist is a different situation too. So I always try things out with them and seeing what, what worked with them, what didn't work with them, how can I do things better? And it's a constant tweaking process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and let alone the fact that it's a dynamic industry, so you can never sit still, right? Yeah, right. which is actually what's very beneficial of where I'm at. I'm, you know, 8020 Records is a very small independent record label, so because of that reason, I am able to adapt very quickly 
depending upon what the demands are for the artists and what the industry is at the different points in time. So mm -hmm. that's actually a huge advantage for me. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, do you mind me asking, is music and, and your label and, and other endeavors your soul? Um, uh, do you make a living off of the label and, and your other endeavors, or do you have a day job? I, I have a day job, and I'm you know willing to admit it, and it's happily part of the, the journey for me as a family man is uh, holding down the day job until, unless, slash until, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, I can make that transition into you know full-time creative. Yeah, honestly, from the majority of the length of the label, I had a full-time job. Mm -hmm. So I was doing technical support on the side, which was great because I was, um, ironically, actually, my uh, my parents were my bosses oh, okay. So for their own company. So I would work with them during the day, and then right as soon as I was done with that work, I would go ahead and work on the record label. So mostly it was a side business for the majority of the time. And then about two years ago, I decided I need to make the leap. I need to really dive into this and make sh and really try to get to the next level. Mm -hmm. So I've been working on that ever since then. So at this point in time, I mean, it's a combination of different things. I mean, the record label does make money, um, but I also make money. I keep myself diversified, which mm -hmm. I, I, I feel, especially when it comes to the music industry, is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Making sure that you're getting sources of income from various different areas. And, um, you know, especially with a record label, what a lot of artists uh, may or may not be aware of is that a record label is taking an unsurmountable amount of risk whenever they onboard a musician because they don't know if, if the record's going to sell well, if it's not going to sell well, whatever mm. the case might be. So we're in the risk business, so we have to assess every single time an artist comes on board whether it warrants the risk or not. Mm. And not even just if there even is um, you know, money being invested into them, but also the, the time and resources it takes to nurture that artist and mm -hmm. to develop that artist. So because of that reason, to help offset that risk, I find other ways of bringing in income to myself. So I do consulting work. I do a lot of consulting work mm -hmm. uh, with crowdfunding or with individual artists. Uh, I also do management work as well for a couple of individual artists as well. So I do those type of things to help offset the risk that the record label has. Mm -hmm. And all kind of in the same universe and, and you know certain skills dovetail across the various revenue streams for you. Um, oh, absolutely. It sound, sounds like. Right. And that's the the most important thing is finding ways that I can utilize my skills in different areas. Mm -hmm. So, again, you know, having direct services where I have now nine years of experience in the industry, I can help out art that artists that may necessarily not be ready to be signed on a record label, but mm -hmm. I can help them out in other ways. Mm hmm interesting now when you talk about the risk and uh you know whether or not the payoff is going is to be worth it um bands are earning the label money through record sales and touring or how does that work oh that could be all over the place it depends on the label every label has a different agreement mm -hmm. which is why it's so important when uh if a label does give you an offer make sure that you go through that contract in fact, usually, and it even says in the contract itself sometimes that you should take this contract to a lawyer right. and make sure that they review it. Because all, anytime you read a contract, guaranteed it's probably going to be in the label's favor in some form or fashion. Now, it may just be a little bit in their favor. It may be very much in their favor, but that's what you have to find out for yourself and making sure that agreement works for you. Mm -hmm. So there was a, a quick aside. There was a weekend last summer when my wife and, and I moved our family into a new rental house and um, we had to sign the contract for the lease and for the weekend I pretended I was a contract lawyer because this lease was like 42 pages and just like so in the landlord's favor it, it was 
egregiously so. So we had to get our, you know, I said, hey, paragraph this, section this, you know, uh, we got to change the language to something more forgiving and blah, 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 blah. And my realtor went back and forth with their guy. And we had like three different versions of this contract for something that is usually pretty straightforward, you know, you know rental contracts are you know, they can kind of boilerplate template stuff usually, but for whatever reason, the uh, the landlord was very cautious and had all this language written in that my realtor was like, what is this? No, you guys don't have to assume all that risk. So, um, you know, not that I've ever been offered or seen a legal, co you know, contract other than what I've seen in the, in the music law books that I've picked up for myself, but I, I have a feeling I would want to read the fine print um, and then, uh, you know, probably consult with a, a professional as well. But, uh, you know, in general, general the, the sort of the spirit of the arrangement what have what have you found that that works well for you um asking you know kind of personally for myself to figure out how your label sets things up if that's not like proprietary or uh you know well yeah speak in generalities if, if you don't right have every artist is a different situation for us it really comes down to a couple of different things so for example our agreements uh in comparison to other labels some labels what they do is called a 360 deal or sometimes they even call it a 180 deal. And that basically what that means is that they're taking a piece of, of each, a little bit of a chunk of each piece of the pie that you earn mm -hmm. as an artist. So I've seen agreements, a lot of them would be covering music sales, merchandise, touring, that's pretty common. But sometimes it can delve in, into things such as if you received a, an acting gig, for example. Mm. I've seen contracts where if you make money off of an acting gig, the label takes a cut of that. Mm. And the reason why is the way they look at it is, hey, you know, we're helping develop your career as an entertainer. Mm -hmm. So if you're making money in these other areas because of our efforts, we deserve a piece of that too. Right. We've helped you build your brand. Right. For me, I, I'm a very big believer in making things as straightforward as possible. So if the label is involved in a certain aspect of an artist's career, we make a percentage cut from that. Mm -hmm. If we're not involved in that way, we don't take a percentage cut. So we don't do 360 deals. We don't do 180 deals. We do it on a case-per-case -case basis based upon what the artist's needs are. Mm -hmm. You could almost call that like an a la carte basis. Oh, it's literally an a la carte basis. Exactly. So yeah. we have arrangements where, okay, you know, this is the arrangement for handling the music. If you want us to help out with merchandise, here's another agreement. If you guys want to help us out with... You want us to help you with, um, you know, licensing, publishing. That's another arrangement. So mm -hmm. we have those various different arrangements in place, and depending because every artist is different. Some of them are not ready. F you know, maybe they already have merchandise covered. Let's say they're great at it already, and they don't need us for that. Well, that's mm -hmm. fine. Then they can go ahead and do that on their own. They can keep 100%, mm -hmm. and then we focus on the music. Right, end. and the idea being that, you know, if, if the band or the artist put forth the work to, to get themselves set up to make that a revenue stream, then, yeah, they should, they should be entitled to that. That sounds really straight up. I, I appreciate hearing that. Um, you mentioned licensing publishing. That's an area that I'm looking to aggressively break into. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, I, you know, I spoke to you a little bit about this before we put, uh, push play, but, you know, my situation is I'm a songwriter, independent performer. I was in bands out of college and, um, you know, been gigging for a decade or so. Small, intimate, but I'd call it sturdy fan base. Um, haphazard social media presence you know which i've been trying to be more disciplined about this year and speaking of diversifying revenue i was like you know how do i make all these years and all this passion worth it you know and and worth it in quotes because naturally the journey has been incredible and i you know i feel so blessed to get to go perform for people um so you know 
music doesn't really owe me anything, but wouldn't it be nice if I could tap into some of those channels where, you know, the, the capital D dream for me is, you know, get, get one of my songs on the next big, I don't know, Kenny Chesney record or, you know, Luke Bryan or, or whoever, you know, and, and then make a little bit of, quote, mailbox money from mm-hmm. that. So have you had experiences with publishing and licensing with the, with the groups here? And do you have any suggestions of folks that I should reach out to in Phoenix? Okay, as far as that's concerned, there's two key things to keep in mind if you're looking to get any kind of placement, especially when it comes to film, television, or or video games, or even commercials. Mm. So number one is volume. So you want to write as often as possible. It doesn't have to be amazing. It doesn't have to be, you know, just the the next best thing that's going to be a timeless song. Mm -hmm. You know, just write and complete songs Mm -hmm. as much as you can also record as many of them as you can and Mm. again the recordings doesn't have to be spot on it just has to be recorded that was going to be one of my questions for you um i have a modest recording setup which basically you're seeing here with the you know it's similar i just pull up ableton and run through here and run my you know mixer through i've got i think an eight channel max because it's ableton light um which came with the uh the interface there and i'm like I'm hemming and hawing because I want to get better at mixing and mastering, and I want my songs to pop. Um, but at the same time, I am, I'm feeling torn because I want to write a lot and I want to get all these demos down. It's like, hey, if I get a demo down that's like, you know, maybe 70% of the way there, is that good enough? Um, it would be nice to say yes, which would afford me the freedom of mind to say, okay, I got it down, move on to the next song. And I think in terms of the lane that I'm looking to really assert myself that that would be the appropriate path however it you know i always cringe a little bit when i hear something back on a mix where i'm like oh i, I could i could hit that better you know right i mean it is i mean obviously you want to try to do the best as you can but also don't these are the type of songs that you don't need perfection on these are demos mm-hmm. so treat them like as they are demos where it's a complete song it's a complete recording but it's not perfected mm-hmm. you know it's you know there might be a mistake or two in there whatever the case is but as long as the point comes across that you can then send across to either a music supervisor or in this case probably you're going to be sending these directly to a publisher the publisher gets an idea of what the music is the style what the lyrics are and so forth mm-hmm. and if they really feel like that's something that they can place you know, but they, let's say the recording isn't there, then at least you know that you have something, and now you can go back and record it again mm-hmm. and make it to the point, the quality that they need to be able to place it somewhere. Mm-hmm. But now you know that you have something, because mm-hmm. that's the thing is that they, the pub, all the publisher cares about is do the musical style and lyrics fit for what they need in order for. Uh, to go ahead and send it across to a music supervisor to get placed. What they know, what the music supervisors are looking for. Mm-hmm. That's their job. Uh, I'm I'm encouraged by that. That uh, so the part of what I'm loving about interviewing you um, or having this conversation um, is that you're able to articulate some of what I have in my intuition. You know, so um, my intuition led me to post this playlist called Yard Sale Demos which is basically a collection of saying, hey, this is my writing, I'm gonna showcase it. It's not perfect, it's not album ready, but hey, here it is, and I'm keeping it, you know, keeping it fresh as much as I can. So it's nice to hear that that is uh, um, sort of an appropriate approach. 
Um, Absolutely, especially if that's what you're design, designing yourself to do, is to just go ahead and get as many placements as you possibly can. It's all about volume. So mm -hmm. it's the more songs that you have available, the more recordings that you have, the easier it's going to be that you'll hit something at some point or another. Have you had um, examples of successes in that arena with 8020 or, or? Me personally, not really, because what we're working, we're focusing mostly on are going to be music sales. So for that mm -hmm. reason, you know, we're not looking at a musician that has that kind of uh, birth as far as, you know, what they have available as far as songs that are written or recorded as demos. Usually what we do is we focus on, okay, you've re you have an re album recorded, let's go ahead and get that album out the door. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we're always actively looking for placement deals, but for us, it's more about focusing on the artist and developing the artist. Mm -hmm. And in your opinion, um, and, and in your experience, how is the market for generating buzz around new acts? Is is there sort of a perpetual opportunity there, or or is there some element of saturation to people's attention? I would say it's a little bit of both. I mean, you have to make yourself, if you're trying to develop yourself as an artist and trying to get yourself known, you have to figure out what's going to make you stand out above the fold. So there's literally thousands of artists out there that are all demanding the same attention that you are. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to get yourself known? Is it going to be your musical style? Is it going to be your performance? Is it going to be some sort of visuals behind it? Is, is it about the, the lyrics of the song and how that defers to everybody else? And then the next trick is then how do you get it out in front of everybody so they are aware of it? Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, number one always starts with, it has to be, you know, your music has to be good. Right. Like that's the number one thing. The music has to be good and you have to be fully self-reflective on that fact is that the music, is it in entertaining? Is it people going to get into it? And it's something that is going to be at least something that stands out so that it doesn't sound like everything else that's out there. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a funny relationship with commoditizing music uh, and I'm sure that's a common refrain among artists. Um, in in the you were talking about being honest in your self-reflection well I, I was looking back on a, a batch of my songs uh, this was after attending a Nashville songwriters workshop and I learned a couple uh, key sort of tenets to uh, songwriting for country one of which is think summer not bummer and I was like oh shit so many of my songs are like bummer songs <laughs> you know singer songwriter folky like let me get in touch with my heartstrings, lay them out in a somewhat poetic but somewhat accessible way and let the listener um, engage with it in, in their own way. And I was like, well, shoot, I don't want my music to bum people out. So recently, the last batch of songs that I wrote, I was trying to put that positive spin on it, or even if the lyrics still have an element of darkness to them, um, you know, try to deliver it in a, in a somewhat toe-tapping way. It's interesting that you mentioned that too, because sometimes, especially as an artist, you don't have to necessarily be I you know be both you don't have to necessarily be just one way so for example if you are planning on getting placement for example and like you said some are not bummer especially for placements they want usually want high you know uplifting songs mm -hmm. so and they want to have you know certain things covered and they want it usually in, in a very standard you know cer certain type of a style that's usually very popular right now mm -hmm. so if you're the kind of artist that wants to make yourself stand out from that you can actually play both 
uh, both fields in that way, where you can go ahead and say, okay, I'm going to then write and record songs that are going to get easily placed in that way, and that's great practice for you. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other music, and that's the music that you represent yourself as an artist that can be the the dark and brooding, mm -hmm. you know, kind of music. You can certainly do that too, but th and then that makes makes your image, and that's what your fans are known you, know you for, and why they're drawn to you is because of that particular style that you have while you're doing everything else on the side. Yeah, it's funny. Um, this expression of like you get more done when you're busy uh you know sometimes you you get i at least i think i have a sort of a lazy bone in my body i think i'll blame my dad for that one um, i think we all have that somewhere yeah my, my mom is the go 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 until you need like a weekend of sleep uh you know go until you drop and my dad's like what's the path of least resistance and let's just float along with that and i have a good mix of both i think and what i'm finding is that now that i've latched in my you know or, or pivoted in my mind to this music publishing journey the rest of everything is coming along nicely too you know i'm finding myself writing more and better and performing better and opportunities have opened up from narip and um and other sorts of things so this this notion of like momentum and inertia i'm really really feeling that this year and it's incredibly powerful. This podcast, you know, I started very slowly, but, you know, I, it's, it's moving along. And I'm feeling very empowered and almost like sheepishly so. Like it's I've uncovered the secret that most people probably know because they probably just keep busy and they say yes to things and they act, you know, out of aligned intentions and, and courage, which is something that was hard for me. Um, uh, I was telling you uh, again before we, we pushed play, I was kind of the person that wanted everything lined up before going for it. And my wife and my kids have taught me to be a little bit more green light. It's like, hey, go, you know, you don't know what's going to come of it. Oh, absolutely. No, I 100% agree with you. I mean, when an opportunity comes to your table, I mean, 99% of the time I'll take it, no mm -hmm. matter what it is. No. Because you, I, I always find that it's worth it. Either it becomes a learning experience or something amazing does come out of it. But usually, most of the time, I'll say yes to a lot of things. Probably I'll say yes to more things than I should. Yeah. But, I mean, like you said, like you just you keep on going and eventually something will stick. Yeah. Now, I was perusing around uh, the 8020 website a little bit, and I saw that you had a couple um, pitches for... I think it was Austin City Limits or uh, South by Southwest. Uh, South by Southwest. Did, did you get an opportunity to be on a panel there, or did, you know how did that shake out? Actually, I was uh, selected to be a mentor actually at okay. South by Southwest, and the way that it worked was I, I like to call it the speed dating of mentorships. Uh -huh. And what they do is it's pretty amazing. What they accomplish is they bring in all kinds of indi industry experts all over the world to come in and provide. Uh, basically for each person who signs up who is uh, going to the South by Southwest conference they can sign up to say okay I would like to spend some time with this particular person and they get about 10 minutes and so like I said it's like speedly speed, yeah. speed dating so they can sit down and then they can ask any questions they want to that expert for 10 minutes oh. and what they do is they bring you in this big room and it's pretty cool because you have a table with your name on it like on a place card mm -hmm. and they bring in a person and they sit down they say go and they start asking you questions and then they give you one minute warning with literally like a bell <laughs> and they go ding 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 minute left and then once the minute's done then they have to get up and the next person sits down and then we do it again and your area of expertise was uh um sponsorships or my okay well that was for, for that one that's a different one that was for the nam convention oh, okay for this 
Uh, Were you the, out there at NAM? Uh huh. I spoke at NAM. So I was a moderator there. It's funny. My family planned a trip to Disney that weekend. So I drove my family out there, met my parents out there, and unbeknownst to me, Nam was going on. And I was like, man, there's a lot going on here this weekend. <laughs> and then I figured it out what was going on. And I was like, oh, this is neat. And I, I took it upon myself to uh, stop a, a random woman with a guitar on her back. I said, hey, you know, how's it going? What do you do? You know, just try, again, trying to force myself out of my skin and say hello and make a connection. This nice woman named Emily Angel out of New York, she's a performer, and she was out there uh, trying to showcase herself stuff so oh, it was absolutely it was so no. what'd you what'd you do at nam and then we'll, we'll circle back over to uh south by southwest sure so the nam conference uh for anybody who doesn't know what that is uh the nam stands for national association of music merchants mm -hmm. and they do a big conference in anaheim every single year in january and literally if you can think of every single instrument gear uh company that's out there anything that's related to products for music they're there. Mm -hmm. Everybody's there. So it's a huge convention, and uh, it's a great opportunity to connect with these various different companies to develop relationships with them. But it's also a, a ton of people in the industry are there, too, every from, everyone from studio owners to record labels to musicians. So it's a huge networking opportunity, and you get to see some really cool stuff there, too. They have a lot of uh, products and instruments on display that normally aren't released until later on in the year. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing the future of music equipment unfold in front of your eyes. Oh, absolutely. Everything from you know trumpets to keyboards to consoles and... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. software and everything in between i've seen cool videos where you know a bystander will take a quick video of a great musician going and demoing a new product and you're oh you know oh yeah they'll have famous musicians will appear mm -hmm. uh, in fact one of my uh favorite stories actually happened earlier this year i was sitting down for lunch at the marriott which is one of the hotels that's right by the convention center and uh, they usually, for each of the hotels, they'll have a stage where musicians can perform on all day long. So there's a musician that was playing this right uh, in the lobby of the Marriott. And I was having lunch with a couple of colleagues. And I'm looking at the table just maybe like five, ten feet away. And I see this guy sit down. He has like a really nice jacket on and he has glasses on. And you can see his head bobbing back and forth a little bit. And he has, you can clearly see he has like a little bit of like an entourage. And I'm looking at him going, I'm pretty sure that's Stevie Wonder. Uh -huh. I'm almost positive. And Stevie Wonder is known for going to the NAMM convention. So I go up to go to the restroom and I come out. And all of a sudden I see all these people crowding around the stage. And I'm looking up on there and I, sure enough, I see Stevie Wonder. He's up on stage singing along. And in fact, if uh, anybody read this, it, it was covered by, I think uh, Rolling Stone covered this. Yeah. But they mentioned about the fact that there was a musician up on stage performing. And I believe what happened was that he saw Stevie Wonder in the audience, got so nervous because he was singing one of his songs. And all of a sudden. Superstition, right? Yes, uh. exactly. And all of a sudden, so. Um, he came he forgot some of the lyrics so stevie wonder went up on stage and helped him finish out the song so i was there when that whole thing happened that's wild I'm yeah so, uh, that's so cool i'm glad that that's i i was hoping that's where you were going with that because that did go viral and i saw that and mm -hmm. i was like oh my goodness like you know how great for for me i think the equivalent would be like covering a dave matthews song and then having dave matthews show up and be like oh hey i know that one you know like exactly so only at the nam convention that's the thing the first thing when i saw that was like only at the nam convention that these things that's happen so cool that you were there for that yep you're, I, you're within you know eye shot of a very viral moment that's that's kind of cool yeah so i mean i love the nam convention for that reason but what um 
what I was honored uh, to be a part of was there's a lot of uh, panels as well as workshops that happen throughout the NAM convention too. And it covers all kinds of topics. And so the topic that uh, I moderated on was how to land brand uh, partnerships. Okay, that's that's the one I was thinking of. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I brought in a panel of different uh, people in the industry. Some of them are, one of them is an artist who's land brand endorsements for himself. Another per, a couple other people who are part of artist relations for various different manufacturers as well. And another person who was, um, she's a PR agent. So we had a diverse lineup from different perspectives on, okay, what kind of relationships can you have with companies? Mm. So that could be anything from, you know, Gibson or, you know, DW Drums, or it could be, you know, you, you literally every, almost all the companies have some sort of, especially the bigger ones, will have some sort of uh, artist relations person that mm -hmm. is their, one of their main jobs is that they help develop relationships with musicians because the musicians who are out there and playing shows and being, you know, be having that kind of exposure. Having a brand. Having a brand essentially helps their own company sell their products. Mm -hmm. I had a buddy back in uh, Maryland who I think was sponsored by Sakani Shoes. Oh wow! And I was like, "How did you how did you land that?" Uh, the, uh, before uh, my wife and I had kids, we were planning on doing the Appalachian Trail, and I was like, "How can I, how can I shoehorn my music passion into this?" And I was like, "Maybe I could have my equipment like shipped ahead of me, and then I'll hike a part of the trail, and then show up at a theater and perform that night." And I was like, maybe I could get like Under Armour or North Face or somebody to sponsor my gear and make it this whole tour. So that's a, that's another wish list, bucket list idea. Well, that's a great idea. And, and you know, a lot of these companies are down for it. And it's amazing. I, I find that, you know, a lot of these companies could be very approachable. Some of them aren't that approachable. You have to find out what resonates well with you. I find that sometimes, and it doesn't matter how large a company is, sometimes the larger companies are e actually a lot more easygoing mm. because they just have so many resources behind them that mm. if you're just another arse in their cog, I mean, okay, cool, yeah, we can help you out here and here and here. They already know exactly what to do. They're, you know, they just, you know, that's what their job is to just respond to artists like uh, the ones that I represent. And then that's it. So sometimes they're super easy and uh, sometimes they can be very difficult. It really depends upon the company. And, and I was going to say what I think was so cool about that, the way the panel was set up, was that you had representation from various aspects of the relationship, right? So you've got uh, sponsorship. You've got an artist, you've got a company, and I think one of the very important things for me at this juncture in my musical pursuits is to try to understand and appreciate where each person is coming from. As, as a performer, it's important to m for me to try to help the venue realize their vision. So I'm, I'm trying to be very careful with places that I play where I'm saying, hey, are you expecting me to have draw or do you have a built-in crowd? You know, how much cross promo are we going to do? You know, like, what is the vision and let's work towards it together as opposed to, you know, an artist that just wants to show up and play. You know, I, I think I have enough of a knack to understand some of this stuff or at least appreciate and attempt to understand what everyone's interest is in the relationship and find those win-wins and then everyone gets to move along without feeling taken advantage of or like you know they're you know um 
basically being taken advantage of. Absolutely. Honesty and communication. I mean, there's no there's no other way around that. I mean, you need to have honesty and communication with everybody that you're involved with, mm-hmm. whether it's working with a venue, whether it's trying to get an endorsement deal with a company, anything along those lines. I mean, I can't stress that enough. I mean, if you're not, you know, especially if you don't have open communication, that's a it's over. Mm. But um, especially honesty, too. You know, as long as you're honest with your position as far as where you're at and where you want to go and so forth, you know, that usually resonates. And you know, they everybody wants to work with somebody that they're honest in because that make sure that they're going to be able to deliver. If they say, I can deliver on this, they'll believe you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in a world of spin and post-fact news or alternative facts. I yeah. don't know how, how closely you follow current events, but uh, strange times and... You know, in a way, my reaction to, you know, the current sort of geopolitical landscape is to try to build my village from the inside out. And that's why reaching out to you and coming here to the cahoots, like I'm feeling inspired by all this local, you know, living locally and building your village from the inside out. Absolutely. I always say this and to this day is one of the best decisions I've ever made for not only myself professionally but personally was to become a member of a co-working space like Cohoots mm. because it's like a it's like a little family for us we all we all look out for each other we help we trade business with each other we you know we we trade skills with each other we learn from each other it's just a it's an amazing support group mm-hmm. yeah the the power of community is something that I have um, been reluctant to latch on to and it's feeling very empowering to finally start opening myself up to to the communities that are here, the existing infrastructures and the existing sort of, you know, the typical relationships that artists can have with different folks and, um, yeah, yourself included. Um, so are there any other highlights or endeavors or you know bands that you uh that you know that are on your label that you want to plug that i can check out and that our listeners can check out or Ooh, i'm glad you asked that question yeah uh, so um definitely check out uh, the band called captain squeegee uh-huh and they're based in phoenix arizona and in fact they just opened up for the band the deer hunter last night at club congress in tucson and uh so yeah we have a lot going on with them right now so cool. Definitely keep an eye on them, especially in the next upcoming months. We have a lot of really cool announcements we're about to release for them. So, um, yeah. Captain Squeegee. Captain Squeegee. Okay. And they're available across all the platforms? Oh, yeah. We make sure of that. Yeah. So they have uh, the most recent album out is called To the Bardos. So I definitely would recommend to check that out. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, so I have a funny, again, relationship with... Um, the, the commodity of music. I, I'm a Spotify junkie. I love going on there and streaming and finding artists and just going down these rabbit holes and building out playlists and telling my friends to check it out. And then, uh, you know, and then that pang of guilt hits me that I'm like, mm, you know, this band, you know, I hope they make a little from their digital distribution, but I know my, my spin is only, you know, what, 0.0004% or, or, you know, cents or whatever it is. You just have to make sure you work at it. You just work the system. You figure out how to make the most out of Spotify because you can make a lot of money from Spotify. But you have to understand how that process works uh-huh. and how you're going to benefit from it. And let's put it this way. Spotify makes it extremely easy for your music to be heard. Mm-hmm. Because if I, I mean, I'm, I'm gu- guilty of this as well. If somebody tells me to check 
check out their music, uh, the first thing I do is go on Spotify and then search for them. Mm-hmm. And if I don't see them on Spotify, I might remember to go home and check them out later. But chances are that doesn't happen because I get asked all the time to listen to music. Mm-hmm. So because of that reason, if you're not instantly available to me, I just naturally will probably will end up forgetting it. And that's just because there's so much, everyone has, you know, there's so many distractions out there right now and everyone has other things to do. So if you don't make it easy for them to listen to your music, you're just doing yourself a disservice. Mm -hmm. So you got to find that, but that's the other thing too, is that you're not getting a lot of money from Spotify either, especially at least in the beginning. So there's a balance you have to work out that, Mm -hmm. okay, yes, you know, I might not be making a lot of revenue from Spotify, but it's making my music readily available. So how else can I make additional revenue on other things that are related to my music? Mm Mm-hmm. Let it work for you in the way that it's intended or in the way that you can take advantage of it and then hopefully bring in some revenues with the other pieces of the mission. That's exactly right. It's a tool. Yeah. Hmm. Very cool. Um, any uh, so Captain Squeegee has some uh, some exciting announcements coming up. Anything else going on with you uh, that you want to plug? Um, I, I feel like we could wrap it up. It's been a while. Um, but I'm having fun. I'm um, having fun too. Uh, as far as anything else is to plug right now, uh, let me think. When, when is this podcast coming out? That will actually determine a couple of things. Well, uh, you have veto authority if we release this or not. Um, so okay. I'll, I'll uh, clip it up probably today and then uh, send it over to you for your approval. Um, sure. I, I mean, I don't uh, think we've had any egregious missteps here where you've, you know, um, told us any deep, dark secrets or anything. No, I try to, I try to keep it pretty light. Uh, I mean, the biggest things I, I will say is that uh, for myself personally, I'm actually going to be teaching a class on artist management and talent development. And this will be an online class through a community, community college, uh, Mesa Community College, actually. And anybody in, in the whole country can actually apply for that class oh sweet so i will be teaching that uh for the summer actually and then as far as a 20 records is concerned uh nothing that i unfortunately can't say at the moment but i do have a okay. couple of really good little really teaser good, yeah i do have a couple of really great things that are going going to come up in the next couple of months actually and did you want to um i, I think i mentioned at the top that i met you at at an era Meet meetup. Yes. Um, what else is going on with NARUP? And you know, I'm a newbie to any of these professional organizations. Um, sure. So for NARUP, I, I've been a member of NARUP for about six years now, and uh, also a great organization. It's a great way to connect with other music industry professionals. So uh, I basically end up being the president of the Phoenix chapter and I'm very honored to be a Sweet. part of it in that way. And what we do, at least in Phoenix, what we do is we do a bi-monthly mixer. So what we do is we find a great location. So that could be a venue, a restaurant, a recording studio. Uh, we always try to come up with uh, interesting different places for people to get together. And it's a great way for just people to meet up, connect, meet new people, reconnect with other people that they don't get a chance to see that often. Mm-hmm. and. Almost every single time I get it, you know, everyone gets something out of it. Everyone benefits in some form or fashion. And uh, Phoenix is actually one of the smaller chapters. So if you're based in, well, especially Los Angeles, Los Angeles is the main hub. So if you're in Los Angeles, it, it's a very strong over there. But they also have, uh, they also have chapters in Atlanta, New York. Uh, they even have some overseas as well. So it's a worldwide organization. And mm-hmm. there's a lot, especially if you want to get involved with film and television placement, definitely check out NARUP. They do what's called um, supervisor sessions where they actually will bring in a music supervisor. And we're talking about music supervisors who select uh, music for 
you know the top television shows and films mm -hmm. in Hollywood, and they will bring them out to various different cities, and they will explain how that process works, what they're looking for, and sometimes you even have the opportunity to pitch to them directly your music. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's a, a very rare opportunity, but Nara makes that available to you know pretty much anybody who wants to take that plunge. Are you involved in other organizations as well, or does NARAP kind of fit all your all your needs in terms of what you're looking for out of a community that you know with with the membership sort of approach? I look for all kinds of organizations. Um, so uh, the other one that would be music related that I'm involved with is uh, I just actually became a member of the Recording Academy. And if people who aren't aware of what the Recording Academy is, if you ever watch the Grammys, that's the Recording Academy. Mm -hmm. So I just became a member of that uh, last month, in fact. And so I'm actually still very new to it. So I'm still trying to explore what it, you know, be able to provide for me. But it sounds, uh, from what I've looked into before signing up for it, is very similar to what NARIP does, but in a little bit of a different way. So they have chapters as well across the country and also provides lots of different networking opportunities and other various different opportunities. So I'm very excited to be a member of it and I'm very excited moving forward on what that's going to bring, not only for myself and 820 Records, but what I can provide back to the music community and as a represent, uh, to represent music musicians. Do you get a vote? I don't get to vote. <laughs> no, unfortunately, like no. Captain Squeegee, straight to the top. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't be a, a voting member. You have to have certain accolades behind um, behind yourself to be uh, accepted as a voting member. So, what I'm considered as an associate member of the Grammys, but I can be very much an influence, especially from uh, a government level. Actually, um, there might be up. You know, they always are looking for people who represent the recording academy that represents musicians and musician rights and go ahead and go to you know sometimes the state or even local levels to represent musicians mm, that's pretty cool um what uh, i've been at you know as an independent artist i've been solicited by some stuff that looks pretty spammy have you heard of the um academia awards show I have not, but I also am very well aware of very spammy things that are out there. Uh. It's, you know, that's a hard one, and I'll tell you why. Um, usually, I can I usually can smell when something's really spammy or not, and but I'll tell you one thing that I did take a chance on. I was in I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and I got this notification from Reverb Nation actually about this conference, and so I looked at it. And at first it looked really spammy. And so I was going through it and saying, okay, you know, I, I really wasn't giving that much of an extra thought except for the fact that I mentioned it was in Hollywood. I said, okay, well, this is in my own backyard. So I checked out the website, I checked out a couple things. I really wasn't sure, but it said it was about, you know, at the time it was like 50 bucks to go. And I said, okay, worst case scenario, I just dropped 50 bucks for nothing. Mm -hmm. So I figured, you know what? why not i'm you know i just moved to los angeles i'm trying to get myself out there more and so forth so worst case scenario is a waste of 50 bucks so i i said i'll do it so i i signed up i went to the event and it was small it was probably like the attendees was about 100 people but the workshops and panels that were there are all these people that have are in the music industry in Los Angeles and because of the fact of how small it was gave me direct access to them so I was very easily able to approach them after the workshop or panel was done and introduce myself to them mm. and let me tell you that 
developed some of the strongest relationships that I have today in the music industry was because of that conference. Well, there and you that go. was back in 2011. So that was six years ago. Mm -hmm. And I still, I'm, some of them now become my best friends because of that. And these are all people that are movers and shakers in the, the music industry that I was able to uh, meet at that conference just because I took a chance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's something that I, I want to be aware of is like, you, you, you know, do the sniff test to see if it smells spammy. But also don't don't act from a place of cynicism all the time, right? Right. Then do do your homework because sometimes they're very legitimate. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they're just really poor about promoting themselves, but their hearts are in a good place and they actually do have a lot of value to them. Um, or sometimes, you know, you know, you do have to be a little bit careful because there are people out there that will just take advantage of you. Um, sometimes they do it intentionally. Sometimes they don't do it intentionally. Sometimes they just think that they're trying to give you a benefit, and in reality, they actually end up hurting you. Mm -hmm. So. You know, you just have to be really careful um, about when you're re do receiving those emails. Do your research. You know, do a basic Google search on it and see if anybody else is complaining about them. Mm -hmm. Ask um, other colleagues and musicians that you know. Hey, have you ever heard of this before? Just like you are doing with me right now. And mm -hmm. do have I ever heard of it? And seeing if if they have or have not, and what they think about it too. So I'll, I definitely always do your research if especially yeah. if there's money involved if they're asking you to put money into something definitely do your research and making sure that you double check and making sure that it's worth doing or not and you know worst case scenario just come down to it and saying okay if i put this money in now and i lost this and i ca nothing came of it is this the end of the world uh-huh right Th this one was particularly um particularly bad it seems to me it's like you know pay 10 bucks to submit a song and then every month they have awards that they you know celebrate artists with well, 10 bucks is not page. that bad i've seen worse i've seen it where it was like 50 to 60 dollars for a submission uh, and i'm looking at this thing going are you serious 50 60 bucks and where is this thing going and what's the award and doesn't uh -huh. even make a difference so right. uh, 10 bucks eh, i mean again you know if you have to think to yourself, is ten bucks worth it, and is the award going that you're going to be receiving? If you do end up receiving an award, is it worth it for you to have anyway? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can work, sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Now, and obviously, there's a spectrum there too, where there are going to be some companies that are set up with legit models that are dependent on a lot of artists engaging, so the company can make money and then filter through, you know, certain artists and certain songs to be placed or to be you know published and and picked up um do you have an opinion specifically about taxi uh i've heard of taxi um i've you know i've heard different things about them honestly so i don't have anything positive or negative to say about them uh -huh. i don't work with them directly on anything along those lines uh so taxi uh you know is a is an organization that essentially you can go ahead and, and apply for for submission submissions um essentially it's uh, if you ever heard the term music library that that's essentially the boiler you know if you boil it down that's what taxi essentially is so um you know, th there's pros and cons for being part of music library. What's great about being part of music library is is that it's easily accessible to you to submit it to. Uh -huh. That that they do get music supervisors to review, but music library is what it sounds like is that usually is hundreds, if not thousands, of songs that music supervisors have to sift through mm -hmm. to in order to get to your song. So it's easily accessible to you, but it's also 
because the fact it's easily accessible, accessible to use, it's easily accessible to everybody else too. So there's pros and cons to that for that reason, where if you went directly to a publisher, um, it's a little bit more difficult to get an arrangement with them. But if you do, they their job is to represent you in getting pla placements. Like that's their purpose. Yeah. So the likelihood that at that point of you getting placed, if you get a publishing deal, is much higher. There's still no guarantee. There's never a guarantee in any of this. Right. But that's their whole point, and their catalog is curated to be very specific so that they are confident that they're able to get something placed. Yeah. My, my hesitancy with something like Taxi was that notion of, of being a fart in the wind. You know, they, they put out a post that says, hey, we're looking for a country western song about heartache, and then, you know, put your submission in for whatever it is, 10 bucks on top of the membership fee. And I was like, well, how many of these, you know, and then thousands of other people apply and I'm like I just I, I, I was feeling disheartened about being lost in the shuffle in that sort of arrangement and I was like there's got to be a there's got to be a more direct way if if my material merits it you know and, and I'd like to get my material in front of those folks that are kind of the you know the make it break it naysayers or, or yaysayers and then they can tell me like right hey, and there's, there's not necessarily a wrong right or wrong way of doing this either i mean i have heard of artists that have gotten placement deals because of taxi mm -hmm. so it is not impossible it definitely does happen mm -hmm. it comes down to really what you feel is best what what ends up working for you mm -hmm. so again it always comes down to do your homework do your research don't go into anything blindly and and also making the assumption that i'm going to do this i'm going to be making a million bucks or anything <laughs> along those lines right you know that you know you you have and but also don't be skeptical either by looking at it and just thinking that this is going to be a scam every single time so you know it usually ends up being somewhere in between mm -hmm. the uh the other one that i've recently heard about is called music x pro have you heard of that one no, actually, I have not. Okay. It was um, turned on to me by a guy who has had a little bit of uh, success with publishing. Um, funny, you know, funny quick story, small world thing. He was the the popcorn vendor at the farmer's market I played last oh, Saturday. Wow. That's a really small world. <laughs> yeah, he was singing along, and then I had... Um, I had a snarky puppy on on my uh, after I was done wrapping up I had it playing through the speakers he goes man is that snarky puppy and I was like dude you must know your music and he was like yeah, I've been playing keyboards for my whole life and we got chatting and I told him about my music publishing mission and he was like oh yeah I've gotten some things placed and I was like oh shit so he, he told me about uh music x pro so i'm gonna have to check that out not to turn two back on the conversation but i did get to see snarky puppy live at nam convention too oh. in a room almost the size of the room that we're in now did they was it like the videos where you have the headphones and you get the mix or was it just a live performance it was just a live performance okay yeah but i, I believe it was uh i'm trying to remember i think it was korg that actually put that together so it was a it was a relatively small room like maybe enough for 40 people to oh. be crammed into there and they would just rotate people in and out and then they would play like two or three songs yeah. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, they're they're on the forefront of, as, as far as I can tell, what's going on in terms of like progressive fusion badass. Oh yeah, they're like, they're incredible. Yeah. Uh, very cool. Um. All right. So uh, yeah, we're up at a, I think about an hour here. It's been an hour already. The time flies so fast. Yeah. Thanks so much for doing this with me. Um, you are officially the second guest on Live At Ya. Um, my, my mentor with a, a movement that he calls the Me Now Movement um, was a guest a, a few uh, episodes back. But uh, 
and, and in fact, I get to go do this again with a public education policy advocate today at uh, 3 p.m. Wow. So this is my first, of, that. my first of two live at you interviews today. So I'm super excited how this is growing into its own thing. And uh, yeah, this, this has been awesome. And we'll be in touch. Everybody check out uh, Captain Squeegee and uh, Mike uh, for 8020 Records. Really appreciate the time. My pleasure. All right, brother. Be well. Yeah. <laughs> Cannot retreat. Yes. <laughs>